good morning and welcome to Red Hill Baptist Church. We're so excited that you're here today. It's one of our favorite days of the year as we have friend David Day. Thank you for being here. We're going to sing together. What we're going to do is we're going to sing a little chorus, 361 in the hymn book called We Have Come Into His House and Gathered in His Name to Worship. And we're going to sing the little chorus. And after we're done with the second verse, we're going to give you an opportunity to shake some hands and meet some folks around you. The ladies will play a verse or two. Then I'll try to bring us back together to sing that first verse again uh, before we're through. Okay, so we're going to sing through the two verses, then we'll have a time of fellowship, then sing that first verse again. If you don't know it, you can learn it with us. They're going to help lead it. 361, let's stand and sing. We have come into his house.
Amen. That was wonderful. Man, what a blessing that was. Thank you so much, Children's Choir. That was great. You know, there are some things in life that you'd better get right. You better get them right. For the married men among us here today, when it comes to your wedding anniversary day, you better get that right. When you're making hotel reservations, you better double check the date and make sure you get it right. You don't want to get there and find out there's no room for you at the end. When you're texting love notes to your sweetheart, you better make sure you're texting to the right number and the right person. You better get that right. When you're out picking wild mushrooms to eat, you better get that right. When you're packing your parachute about to jump out of an airplane, you better get that right. I got to thinking about this. When you're digging a grave for somebody else, you better get that right. You don't want to bury them in the wrong place. And when it comes to building your house, you better get the location right. Maybe you heard about the news report this week and maybe you saw it in the news or read about it. The headline read, and I quote, $680,000 home built on wrong lot in Flagler County. That's in Florida. You see, it was supposed to be built on lot number 12, but they accidentally built it on lot number 11. Now, what do you do if you're the builders and you find out? What do you say to the homeowners? Oops. Sorry. Got it wrong. Here's what the article said. And I quote, this is one of the people involved. As a builder, that's your worst nightmare. I mean, it just blew me away that a mistake like this can happen, especially with two surveying companies on the job. You know, there are some things in life you had better Get right. There's no shifting either way. Now, as important as those things I just mentioned are those examples, even more important is to make sure that you're building your life right. Thinking about homes and foundations and buildings, I want to share with you for just a few moments this morning something that Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew uh, chapter 7. If you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn there. There's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. Matthew chapter 7. And in this passage we're about to look at, Jesus talks about two men who each built a house. And he talks about their house. And he gives some lessons and some things that we would do well to take note of here in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, if you find it, please, verse 24. As we talk about building your life right, building your life, Matthew chapter 7, begin reading at verse 24. Matthew chapter 7, I'll begin reading at verse 24. Jesus says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house And it did not fall, for it was sounded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Now, beloved, these words come at the end of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a sermon that Jesus gave. It takes up Matthew chapter five, chapter six and Matthew chapter seven. 
And it's known as the Sermon on the Mount because chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and he began to teach them. So he's teaching on the mountainside, and it's become known as the Sermon on the Mount. Someone said it's probably the most famous sermon Jesus ever gave, and that anybody's ever given. And in these closing remarks, he tells this story about these two builders, these two men. They both built a house. One was a wise builder and one was a foolish builder. The wise man built his house on a solid foundation. He built it on rock. And the foolish man built his house on a shifting foundation. He built it on sand. Now, you don't have to be an architect or a contractor or a builder or a handyman to know the difference of those two foundations. If you're going to build a house, which one you should build upon. But I need to point out something very important to you as we study this story, this parable. Jesus is not talking about literal houses here. Now, it's true when it comes to literal houses. You should build upon the rock instead of the sand. But he's using these houses to represent these men's life. And he's talking about them building their lives. The wise man or wise woman's applied there builds upon the rock. They build their life upon the rock, the sure foundation, the solid foundation. And the foolish man or woman builds upon the sand, a shifting foundation. Now, I'm sure everybody here today, everybody listening to me, we want to be like the wise man. We want to build upon a solid foundation. We want to, to build the way we ought to build. But the question is, how do we do that? Well, look again at what Jesus says in verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. So notice he says there, whoever hears these sayings and does them. You hear them and you do them. You're like the wise person who built on a solid foundation. Now, that first word, therefore, means that he's going back, talking about what he's been talking about this sermon. And in all honesty, that takes up Matthew's chapters, Matthew chapters five through seven. Now, if we were to go back and study all of that today, <laughs> you would get tired. I would get tired. We both get really hungry and our chicken and beans would burn up. So we can't go back and read or study all of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapters five, six and seven. So I want to just back up and look at the verses that come right before this story. About these two builders. So let's just back up just a little bit to verse 21. As we're coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says there right before he says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them in verse 24. Notice what he says in verse 21 and 22 and 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, let's put all these verses together that we've read this morning. Verses twenty one through 27. And when we look at them as a whole, we learn a lot of lessons here from Jesus's sermon. But I just want to point out three this morning with you. They're important lessons that we should all take note of. Number one, I want you to notice that not everyone goes to heaven. Not everyone goes to heaven. And that might be a shocking statement to some that are listening to me this morning. 
And some might want to disagree with me wholeheartedly and take me to task for even saying that. But I want want you to notice, I'm just giving you what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. Look at verse 21 again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody's going to heaven. Contrary to popular belief, not everyone goes to heaven when they die. Now, notice the ones he mentions here that are not going in verses 21 through 23. They're not openly hostile to Jesus. In fact, they're not rude. They address him as Lord, Lord. But that wasn't enough. So the very first lesson we learned here in this part of Jesus' sermon is is the fact that not everyone goes to heaven. Now, notice the second lesson. It's this. We need a relationship with Jesus, not just religion. We need a relationship with Jesus Christ, not just religion. Now, I hope you know there's a difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, religion is all about doing. Do this, do that. Don't do this, don't do that. Our relationship with Jesus is all about things that have already been done. It's what Jesus has already accomplished. Religion says do. A relationship with Jesus says done. And so we know the Bible teaches that Jesus, who is God, he came. We celebrated Christmas time. He came and he was born to a virgin, a little baby. And he grew up and lived a sinless, perfect life, perfect God, perfect man joined to the flesh. And then there came a day where he voluntarily laid his life down upon the cross, shed his precious blood. We talked about that this morning in our verse where he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he cries out to his father, as he takes upon himself our sin and he bled and he died and he suffered. And he was buried in the tomb. But then the third day he arose again victorious. We celebrate that at Easter time. And he's alive forevermore. And one of the sayings on the cross that Jesus said was this. It is finished. Done. I paid the price. I've made the way. And so he finds here that a relationship says done. Religious and religion says do. Now, I want you to notice in this passage, verses 21 through 23, that those who are not going to heaven, they were a religious bunch. But they're not going to heaven. They were busy doing many things in the name of Jesus. Look at what they were doing. Look at verse 22. Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? They're out prophesying. They're out preaching. They're out declaring things in Jesus name. They said, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We perform exorcisms. We've done all these things. Notice what else they say. We've done many wonders in your name. They were a religious bunch. They were doing all kinds of things. They're doing all kinds of works. This was not the Easter and Christmas only church attenders. These were these are those folks that were doing amazing things, supposedly for Jesus. But did you notice that Jesus here is not impressed? By their works. He didn't say, oh, really? Wow. You did all that in my name? No, that's not what he says. Because you realize, beloved, I hope that nobody can work their way to heaven. We can't do enough. We can't be good enough. We can't uh, work enough. If we're going to go to heaven, we've got to come to an end of ourselves. Realize that we are hopeless sinners who are lost. And dying and headed for a horrible place called hell. We've got to come to an end of ourselves and place our trust, our faith 
And the one who finished the work, who made the way, who is the way, the truth of the life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to an end of ourselves and trust in him and his righteousness. We can't work our way to heaven. You know, my heart breaks. I see people out trying to work their way to heaven, trying to do enough good things. Maybe they come by and knock on your door in your home. They're trying to work their way into a right relationship with God. But Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You don't work for a gift. You receive a gift. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, we have nothing to boast of. We're lost in our sin. Jesus is not looking when he talks to these people. He's not looking for their good deeds or their good works or their self-righteousness. He's looking for their faith and trust in his righteousness, their faith and trust in his finished work upon the cross of Calvary. I think these are some of the saddest words ever spoken. When you look at these words, verses 21 through 23, especially verse 23. Jesus looks at this religious bunch who were busy doing many things in their life, but never trusted the Lord Jesus. And he says to them in verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, beloved, when he says I never knew you, he's not talking about identity. He's not talking about he didn't know who they were. He knows who they are. He's the creator. When he says there, I never knew you, he's meaning there, I never knew you as Savior and Lord. Uh, you never turned from your sin and placed your faith in me alone. You never allowed me to, to form a personal relationship with you. They were busy laboring for him. They were busy doing all kinds of religious things, but they never took the time to trust him, to take him as their Savior and Lord. In fact, they thought they were doing deeds of righteousness, but they were actually, Jesus says, doing lawlessness. Why? Because they were still in their sin. They never Ask the Lord Jesus to forgive them of their sin and save them. You see, beloved, sin is our greatest problem. It's not the economy. It's not our world. Sin is the greatest problem that we have. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. And our sin has separated us from a holy God. And so what we need, beloved, is the righteousness of Jesus and the forgiveness of our sin that can only be found in Jesus. You see, these people, they were claiming that they knew Jesus. They were claiming that they were doing all these things in Jesus' name. But in fact, they were still in their sin. They were doing deeds of lawlessness. They'd never been forgiven of their sin. Beloved, someone can profess and say that they're a child of God. They can do many wonderful works and do all kinds of things that they think they're doing for Jesus and for the Lord. But realize something. If they can continue in sin and live a life of sin... And it doesn't bother them and they're not convicted by the Holy Spirit and God deals with them and brings them to a point where they ask his forgiveness because of their sin. It's a good sign they're not a child of God. Because, you see, when we become Christians, we're not automatically perfect, practically speaking. Now, in Jesus, we're perfect, but we're still a work in progress here, aren't we? And God is working in us to mold us and shape us into the image of his son, the Lord Jesus. But we still from time to time sin. Now, we don't live a life of sin and revel in sin and live the same way. But from time to time, we sin. If we say we have no sin, we're a liar. And so we still sin from time to time. But when we sin as a believer, what does God do? He begins to deal with us. And the Holy Spirit who indwells as believers begins to work on us and to bring us to a point where we say, Father, forgive me. 
And we go as a child would to his father and say, Father, I'm sorry I did wrong. And he puts us back into a right fellowship. But you see, if a person can live a life and they sin and sin and sin and sin, they say, oh, I know Jesus, I'm saved, I'm a church member, and yet they sin and it doesn't bother them and they don't feel convicted about it and the Lord doesn't deal with them about it. It's a good sign that maybe they're not born again. They're not a child of God because whom the Lord loves, he chastens and he disciplines to bring us back into a right fellowship with him. It's interesting here because Jesus says here, it's not just what you say, it's what you do that shows that you truly are a Christian. It's not just the words you speak, but it's your way you live. The words on an engraving from the cathedral of Lubbock, Germany, beautifully reflect our Lord's teaching here. Here's what the engraving says on this statue. Thus speaketh Christ our Lord to us. You call me master and obey me not. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me life and live me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. The Gospel of Luke tells this story as well. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus says these words. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Now, don't misunderstand. Christianity, we've already established, is not a works religion. We've already established that. We've already said it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We cannot work our way to heaven. All of our righteousness is filthy rags. It's impossible to work our way to heaven. The scripture is clear on this. But here's the point. You say, what is all this about then? Why does he say those that hear and do? Well, here's the point, beloved. If you're born again, if you've turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're a child of God, the Bible says you're a new person. And your life is going to be characterized by doing the will of God. It'll be characterized by obedience to the word of God. In other words, your faith is going to lead to good works. Now, we're not saved by those works. They're just kind of an outflow. The fruit of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you can look at our lives and we say, well, what does my life look like? Because my faith is going to lead to good works. Look at what Jesus says in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not enough just to talk. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So what's the very first thing we have to do, if you will, to do the will of the Father? Well, he tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 29. Now listen carefully. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. Are you ready? This is the work of God. This is the will of God that you believe on him whom he sent. You see, if you're going to be a child of God, you've got to believe on the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the will of God for you. That's God's will for you. The Bible says He's not willing that any should perish, any should go to a horrible place called hell, but that all should come to repentance, that all should believe on His Son, the Lord Jesus. And if you're going to be a child of God, you've got to do the will of God, which is what? Believe on the Son. That's the first thing. And then after you've believed on the Son, by the way, that's salvation. That's eternal life. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved, you die the very next moment. If you're a true child of God, to be absent of the body, be present with the Lord, you'll go to heaven. But for most of us, we get saved and the Lord doesn't take us right away, does he? He leads us here to be ambassadors for Christ, to do his work, to be his hands and his feet, to be his mouthpiece, to speak truth. 
And your faith in Jesus is going to produce and bring about good works in your life. And it shows not only you, but others that you truly do believe and you are a child of God. James talks about this. James chapter two, verses 17, 18. Listen to what it says. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He says, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You see, the difference between a religion and a relationship with Jesus is religion says do in order to earn, which we know is impossible. But a relationship says done in order to receive the gift of eternal life. And because we are children of God, our lives begin to reflect Christ and show Christ and good works and good deeds. There's a lot in this sermon, isn't it? Wouldn't you love to sit on the hillside that day and listen to the Lord Jesus Christ preach? Look at, we'll look at the third lesson here. Lesson number one, not everybody goes to heaven. Jesus said that. Lesson number two, we need a relationship with Jesus, not just religion. Now, here comes the third lesson. Here's the hard one, too, beloved. It's this. Judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming. We have two builders and their houses. They both build houses. We've already said that these houses represent their life. But as you look at these people's houses, they assume, we assume they appear very similar. We appear, they appear to look very good. From the outside looking, you can't really tell the difference between the wise man's house and the foolish man's house. Now, both of these houses are impacted by a storm. Apparently, they were pretty close together in the same neighborhood. Even Maybe they were next door neighbors. I don't know. But here they are. They have these homes, one built on sand, one built on a rock. And a storm comes and begins to beat upon their house. In fact, as the Bible says here, there was rain, flood, winds, serious storms. I mean, that's really the test of a good house or a good building, right? How does it endure the storms? And it says here that one house stood and the other collapsed. Now, what's the difference? The foundation they were built upon. One was built upon the rock. Now, in Scripture, beloved, the rock refers to Jesus Christ, the sure foundation, the chief cornerstone. And it also specifically here refers to Jesus's words. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so the wise man, he built his life upon Jesus Christ and the teaching of Jesus Christ, the word of God. Now, the other man built his house on the sand. We understand the sand here to be human reasoning, human knowledge, human speculation, uh, human religion. You know, what we can figure out, what we can do, what we on our own. And the storm came. And the storms revealed what happened to these homes. One stood firm and one collapsed. Now, beloved, storms do come in this life. We could spend a little bit of time this morning talking about storms and we all face trials and storms and things that come. And and those storms will reveal our our faith, won't they? How does a person respond when those storms come? It reveals our faith, sure. But here in this passage, this storm is talking about, as I understand the scripture, final judgment. The storm that's coming. Why? Because in verse 22, Jesus says, many will say to me in that day. 
These are people standing before the Lord in judgment. They're saying, Lord, Lord, we've done this in your name and that in your name. And so that storm of judgment is coming. And when it came to building their lives, one man got it right. And one man didn't. In fact, the foolish man who built upon the sand, not only did his house fall. Jesus adds these words in verse 27 and great was its fall. You see, the man or woman who builds their life on anything or anyone other than the Lord Jesus Christ will one day stand judgment before God. And they're in for a big fall, a great fall. They're in for a horrible place called hell. Now, beloved, listen to me. God doesn't want anyone to go there. But God will not force anybody to trust him. And his son, he's made the way Jesus Christ paid your price. He shed his blood. He was buried. He arose again. The Bible says whosoever will may come. He is standing with open arms, ready to receive and forgive, to make you a child of God, to give you a home in heaven, to put you on a solid foundation. But he will not force you to come. He will not make you come. He'll deal with you. He'll give you opportunity, even as he is this morning, but he'll not make you come. And those who chose not to build on the rock, those who chose to reject the Lord Jesus Christ, their house, their life fell and great was its fall. In fact, I could not help but think about the final judgment for those who are lost. We're doing a sermon series on Revelation. We'll get back to it in just a couple of weeks. We're going to we'll take a break, of course, today, and we'll take a break for an important message next week, then get back to it, God willing. But in Revelation chapter 20, we read about the great white throne judgment. And the great white throne judgment is for those who rejected Jesus Christ. No Christians here. And I want you to hear the words. They're haunting words. Then I saw a great white throne. And him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, the great men and women of our world, the small, unknown. Everybody stands there who does not know Jesus. The dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. The sea gave up the, ju- the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. No second chances. No time to get it right then. Beloved, there are some things in life we dare not get wrong, beginning with our life itself in our eternal destiny. We dare not get this wrong because we have to decide, are we going to build our life upon the rock, upon the Lord Jesus Christ or upon the shifting sand? You know, beloved, there's a saying about dying with the most toys. Person who dies with the most toys wins. Listen, you can die with the most toys, but you'll still die. And after this, the judgment. What shall it profit a man, the Bible says, if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Now, here's the question. What about you, friend? 
Is your life built upon the solid rock? Is your life built upon the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of the word of God? Or is it or, or is it built upon shifting sand? Because if you're on the sand this morning, have your own human wisdom and knowledge and religion or whatever, there's no stability, there's no sureness, there's no soundness, there's no safety, and a storm is coming to beat against your house and it's going to fall. And great will be its fall. You dare not get this wrong, beloved. You've got to get this right. There's only one way to heaven. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And if you're going to heaven, there's only one way to get there. And his name is Jesus. Now, beloved, here's the question. Do you know him today? Is your life built upon the solid rock, the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, I want to invite you to meet him this morning. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to bow your heads. Nobody looking around. Nobody shuffling papers or books. Nobody packing up. I want to speak to you for just a moment. I wish we had time to sit across the table and talk one on one. But friend, I want to ask you today. Do you know for certain? Are you 100 percent sure that Jesus Christ is your savior and Lord? That if you were to die this very moment, you'd open your eyes in heaven. Are you absolutely certain that your life is built upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ? If there's any doubt, or maybe you say, preacher, I'll just be honest. I know that I am not on the solid rock. I'm still on shifting sand. Friend, today you can have eternal life. Today, you can have the forgiveness of sin. Today, you can build your life on the solid rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll believe. If you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I'm going to do in our last moment or two together. If you're here today and God the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart. And you'd like to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. You just have to believe. But the best way for us to do that many times is to express it in a prayer. And you can meet Jesus Christ right there where you are. And it's not the prayer that saves you. It's Jesus that saves. As you place your faith in his finished work upon Calvary. But if you'd like to today, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you mean this, if you mean business with God, he'll do business with you. And if you'll call upon him today, he will forgive you and save you and cleanse you. And so if you'd like to do that today, I want to lead you in a prayer. And you pray it there from your heart and you mean it. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I'm sorry for my sin. I don't want my sin anymore. I want Jesus. I believe that Jesus is God's son. I believe he lived a sinless life. I believe he died in my place. I believe he arose from the grave. I believe your word. That if I call upon you. You will save me. Lord, the best way I know how. I call out to you today. Please forgive me of my sin. Save me. Make me your child.
And help me to live my life for you. Help me never to be ashamed of you. But help me to live for your honor and your glory. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making me your child. Now, friend, while your head is still bowed and your eyes are still closed, if you prayed that prayer today and you truly meant it, and you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, the Bible says that if you call upon the Lord, he will save. And here's what we're going to do in our closing moments together. We're going to have a closing song called Just As I Am. And I want to challenge you today to do something very simple, but yet very significant. During this closing song where we're singing, I'm going to be standing right down front here. If you prayed that prayer today and you made Jesus Christ your Savior and Lord, here's what I want to ask you to do. I can ask you to say a word. I can ask you to do anything like that. I want you to step out from where you are. Walk down and shake my hand. And by doing that, you're saying, preacher, today I ask Jesus Christ into my life. You say, what's that going to do? Well, it's going to help you. It's going to help you. You're going to make it public today as you step out and shake my hand and say, listen, I prayed to receive Christ. And here's what else we're going to do. I want to give you some material to help you to grow. I want to pray with you today and just want to speak to you for just a moment. I'll not embarrass you. I'll ask you to do nothing but come shake my hand and just stay here for a moment after the service when everybody else is going to me. I just want to pray with you and put some material in your hand and help you. Now, I'm sure if you knew the Lord Jesus and you know him now, you're not ashamed of him. So I want to challenge you today as we sing this closing song. Just come shake my hand and say, Preacher, I pray to receive Christ. And guess what? Those believers here today, they're going to rejoice just as the angels in heaven are rejoicing. And we're going to rejoice with you. We just want to pray with you and help you by giving you some literature to help you to begin growing and talk to you just a few moments today. Father, I pray that you give courage to those who pray to receive Christ today. To take that step of saying, listen, I am a Christian. I pray to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Lord, help us as we help them to grow, as we pray with them, as we place literature in their hand, as we help them to take the next step on their faith journey. Lord, may you be honored and glorified in this place. We love you and praise you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ladies, if you step to the instruments, please. 307, just as I am, without one plea. And here's the very simple, very simple invitation to this. You pray to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Just step out and start singing. Take about a hand. I'll welcome you here. We just stay for a moment. You just have a single prayer. I'll give you some literature and pray with you and talk with you before you go to lunch. Very simple. Would you do it today? 307, let's stand to sing, just as I am. Thank you.